Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still that we might hear from you. Amen. We can almost see Martha's face, can't we? Looking around at their dirty house, seeing the as yet unset table, noting the entire miscellany of chores unfinished. And then we can see her take note of her sister there, the sister who, rather than join her in attending to these unfinished items, has instead sat down at their guest's feet, listening to the man talk and simply enjoying his company. It's infuriating for her. Jesus, you see this mess, Martha effectively says to their house guest. So are you not then going to tell her to help me with it? To which their guest responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Mary has chosen the better part. Mary, he says, has chosen the better part. Dear family, it's remarkable that there was not a homicide that day. <laughs> Presence. Availability, attentiveness, the gift of time. That's what this story is ultimately about. Putting aside for a moment the identities of the people involved, putting aside for a moment that the house guest in question was indeed the incarnate God of Israel, putting aside these important and undeniable truths, still, the simple fact of the matter is that this story right here is principally a story about time, about how to inhabit it and how to conceive of it, about how to appreciate it, and about how to understand it as a gift. Was the house dirty? Probably. They usually are. Were there chores that needed tending to? Undoubtedly, there always are. But in this story, the pressure and the burden of all of that was so severe on Martha that it was causing her to overlook the significance to be found in simply being present to and for their house guest. Mary recognized this. Martha didn't. And that's why Jesus says that Mary chose the better part. The gift of time. The gift of attention. The gift of presence to and for one another. That is the better part. 
Let me tell you a story really quickly. Apparently, around 4 a.m. this past Friday morning, so I'm talking just a few days ago, Juliana woke up screaming. She'd been having a nightmare, and she awoke from it terrified. Well, Juliana and Ada share a bedroom, which means that when Juliana began screaming, so too did Ada wake up also. Well, the story goes, as narrated to both Ada, excuse me, as narrated to April and myself by both Ada and Juliana the next morning, the story goes that the dream had been so scary that Juliana woke up crying, and it was dark, and she was afraid, and she felt all alone, and she was trying to muster the courage to get up and come across the house through the dark to April's in my bedroom, but she couldn't. She was stuck and stymied by her fear and her feeling of isolation when just then, roused from her own sleep, Ada suddenly whispered to her through the dark, Juju, are you okay? To which Juliana, still crying, whispered back that she wasn't, that she'd had a bad dream, and that she was very scared. Now remember... This was four o'clock in the morning, and Ada had been sound asleep, and no doubt would have preferred to go right back to sleep. But she recognized in the quiver of her sister's voice that her sister was scared. And not only that her sister was scared, but that she needed comforting. And then in order to comfort her, it was going to require attentiveness from her. And so, to both April's and my great astonishment the next morning, here's what happened next. Apparently, Ada got up and cut on the light to their room, then went and got into the bed with Juliana, where she invited Juliana to cuddle into her. And then she asked Juliana if she'd like for Ada to read her a story, to which Juliana responded that she would. And so Ada grabbed a book from their bedside table and she began reading to her. And she read to her until Juliana's breathing calmed down and her sniffling stopped and until finally her eyes closed. And then after that, after seeing that her sister was finally at peace and had fallen back to sleep, then Ada slipped back out of Juliana's bed, turned their bedroom light back off, and then climbed back into her own bed to go back to sleep. And that is the end of that story. And here now is why I tell it. In our lives, there are many things that preoccupy us and weigh us down. Many things that distract us and rob us of peace. Many things that worry us and that overwhelm us. In the Mary and Martha story, it's anxiety and busyness. In the Ada and Juliana story, it's fear and loneliness. 
in our own life stories. It's all of these things and so many others besides. It's anxiety. It's grief. It's insecurity. It's failure. It's fear of failure. The list could go on and on ad infinitum. For such is the reality of being human in the wreckage of the fall. For such is the reality of being human in a not yet redeemed world. And so I tell the story of Ada reading to Juliana the other night. And I tell it alongside the story of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet that long ago day in order to impress upon us this important truth. That in such a broken world as this, in a world in which all of us are presently dealing with something that is overwhelming us, for we all are, we always are. I tell this story so as to remind us and press upon us that in such a world there is immense power in simply being present to and for one another. Which is simply to say among the most meaningful gifts we can offer someone in this broken world is the simple gift of our time. Perhaps it's the gift of sitting with someone and just listening to them. Perhaps it's the gift of serving someone who is lonely or in need. Perhaps it's the gift of showing up when someone needs human presence and company the most. Perhaps it's the gift of sharing your own story with someone who desperately needs to hear that another person understands. Each of these simple gifts and countless other simple gifts just like them, each of these simple gifts are gifts of time, even though we don't often categorize them as such to ourselves. They're gifts and the purpose of this sermon today is to remind us that in a culture that most often celebrates material or monetary gifts, we can never underestimate how transformative a gift of time can be. For unlike material and monetary gifts, which themselves are of great importance, unlike these gifts of time are not only substantive, but they can indeed be spell-breaking here's what I mean by that. Ada's decision to get into Juliana's bed and read her a book rather than just roll over and go back to sleep like she probably wanted to do, that gift of time literally broke the spell of fear and isolation that had come upon Juliana like a fog. Ada's gift of time was like a supernatural power in that way. Likewise, Mary's gift of time to Jesus no doubt inspired him and made him feel more welcome in Mary and Martha's home that day, while simultaneously it no doubt broke the spell of worry and anxiety that Mary herself had likely been experiencing on account of their unready home just moments before Jesus, their guest, had arrived. You see, a gift of time does that. 
It opens our eyes to the holiness of each moment, no matter how messy or unkempt that moment might be. A gift of time pierces the clouds and the clamor that daily surround us. Quells the thoughts and the things that constantly threaten us. Such gifts of time awaken us to the reality that we are going to be okay. That we are loved. That we are held close. That we are watched over and kept that all shall ultimately be well. Yes, these may seem to us like small gifts when we offer them. But gifts of time are indeed the most powerful gifts of all. And in saying that, we do realize that the Christian gospel itself is about the power of a gift of time, right? For not only does the Christian gospel affirm that in the beginning God created time and gave it to humanity as a gift, and not only does the Christian gospel affirm that in the end God will redeem all time, and resurrecting humanity from the dead will usher in the reign of the resurrected Lord. Not only does the Christian gospel affirm all of that, but along with all of that, in fact, smack dab in the middle of all of that, the Christian gospel likewise affirms that amid the wreckage of this present broken world, that amid the fear and the loneliness, that amid the grief, and the sorrow that amid the mourning and the despair that amid the evil and the injustice, the Christian gospel affirms that amid all of this, God appeared to and for humanity. That amid the spell of sin and brokenness that surrounds this world like a fog, that God became human at a certain time and in a certain place to save us from our situation and to remind us that we are loved and kept and held and that we will be okay. Yes, the Christian gospel tells us that God became human in essence to whisper to us in our feelings of fear and isolation that it's only a nightmare. And to turn on the light for us so that we could see things just a little more clearly. And to tell us a better story so that our minds could be transformed by more hopeful thoughts. And to hold us, his beloved, close until we finally are once more at peace. Yes, the Christian gospel itself is about a gift of time. About God seeing humanity in our hurt and our need and our loneliness and responding to our situation by simply showing up. As I close, I'm reminded of what Mr. Beaver says to the Pivensey children in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
as they see the endless winter snow beginning to melt all around them. The spell, Mr. Beaver says, is beginning to break. The spell is beginning to break, he says. For you see, Aslan has now appeared. And to quote the great Christmas hymn, the soul of Narnia has thus felt its worth. Oh, the echo of the gospel. The power of appearing to and for one another. The power of a gift of time. Through such gifts we can awaken one another to the reality of our infinite eternal worth by appearing, by showing up, This is the gospel of our Lord. And thus, this is choosing the better part. To which all God's people said, Amen.